0: This is a Poets and Writers page one author reading. To hear more, visit us at pw.org forward slash multimedia or at soundcloud.com forward slash poets and writers. People depart their homelands for many reasons, carrying hope or dread. Conquest, work, schooling, shelter, adventure, escape, love, war, famine, slavery, repression, recession, hyperinflation, or just hazy visions of an upgrade and opportunity. The formula varies for everybody, calibrated always to the shifting dynamics of the global chessboard, the laws and technologies and catastrophes that dictate the social order of any civilization. The urge, from necessity or ambition, to pack up, decamp, and build elsewhere traces back to the furthest reaches of human history, hardwired into the most primal corners of our psyches, An instinct perhaps not far removed from that of the butterflies and salmon that set off on near lifelong journeys to procreate, or the birds and whales that crossed the globe for richer feeding grounds. A hundred thousand or so years ago, according to the latest archaeological evidence I've seen, our earliest ancestors migrated north through Africa, eventually into the Arabian Peninsula, along the Indian Ocean into Southeast Asia, around the Mediterranean Sea into Europe, across the desert and tundra into Siberia, and ultimately over the Bering Strait to the Americas. Some scientists have hypothesized that early migration patterns coincided with climate cycles, that at certain periods opened new corridors of lush vegetation to follow, and at other points turned once fertile land dry and cold. Migratory currents flow along certain well-defined geographical channels. German-British geographer E.G. Ravenstein wrote in his 1885 study of human migration, They are like mighty rivers which flow along slowly at the outset and, after depositing most of the human beings whom they hold in suspension, sweep along more impetuously until they enter one of the great reservoirs. Movement begat acclimatization and genetic diversity. Based on their geographic location over the course of many generations, people came to develop slight variances in skin color, establishing the hereditary distinctions that would come to define the social construct we now know as race. These early migrations across the globe, and the ones that followed in the coming millennia, shaped the world as we know it. As languages blended, agricultural techniques evolved, metalwork skills spread, trade routes materialized, and communities morphed into states and then empires in Mesopotamia, Egypt, China, and elsewhere. The Bantus of Western Africa traveled southward and eastward on the continent. Polynesian mariners worked their way down the coast of the Americas. The Celts migrated across Europe, Germanic and Sarmatian tribes journeyed into the Western Roman Empire. Nomads from Central Asia traversed the Silk Road. Moors trekked to the Iberian Peninsula, and Bedouins into North Africa. Jewish migrants, expelled from France in the 12th century, England in the 14th, and Spain in the 15th, resettled in Eastern Europe and along the Mediterranean coast. From one angle, the history of modern humanity boils down to a series of borders drawn and borders crossed, cultures cultivated and cultures erased. Homes fled and homes desired. Only transportation technology restricted the bounds of migration. The epic distance that Moses and his people walked covers barely a centimeter on the basketball-sized globe that sits on my desk, a four-hour drive on California highways. Genghis Khan's horseback army controlled what, to most Europeans at the time, seemed to be the entirety of society until people began crossing oceans. Three decades after Christopher Columbus crossed the Atlantic, Magellan crossed the Pacific, the first known expedition to do so. The trip from Spain, around the southern Horn of the Americas, and across the largest ocean on the planet took two years. Two of the expedition's five ships didn't make it far enough west to reach the Far East. Mutinous officers were marooned or killed along the way. Magellan lied to his crew about how much food was left, and they had to resort to eating animal hide ripped from furniture and drinking water that had putrefied yellow. The expedition would have been doomed if not for a run of good fortune. The weather was uncharacteristically benign, thus the name Magellan bestowed upon the body of water, Mar Pacifico, the peaceful sea. And just when things were looking bleakest, the island now called Guam came into view, and it so happened that the natives were friendly. The conquistadors traded for rice and fresh water and went on their way, not knowing how much longer it would be until they reached land again. These days you can buy a plane ticket from Madrid to Manila with a stop in Hong Kong for half the price of my mom's monthly rent, departing and arriving within a span of 17 hours, just enough time for a couple of movies, a nap, some reading if you feel like it. We've conquered earthly distance, stretched our collective arms around the planet. We can move faster, safer, and cozier, but never again into unknown civilization, at least until we cross our next ocean, the black void between here and whatever extraterrestrial life might exist. When I started this book, there were approximately 8,000 to 20,000 airplanes flying at any given second, carrying people and their things with sanitized ease, climate-controlled, vacuum-sealed chambers hurtling through the troposphere, slicing undisturbed through ice and wind, guided by navigational computers that linked the whole aviation industry into a single, standardized network. Passengers filed through covered mechanical gangways and auto-moving walkways that transported them past food courts and jewelry stores, in airy terminals that could be confused for malls. Luggage tumbled into sight from out of nowhere, sliding down a metal chute in the ceiling, delivered on a silver carousel. If you've picked up a bag at the San Francisco International Airport sometime in the last three decades, there's a chance my Uncle Spanky hauled it. He is 72 now, the supervisor on his crew of baggage handlers. The younger guys he works with don't believe him when he tells them his age. Still strong and slim, with a ponytail under his cowboy hat, Thick mustache over a constant smile, tired eyes behind wraparound sunglasses. Spanky lifts and loads, lifts and loads the overstuffed suitcases, the boxes of fruit, the jangling golf bags, smooth and brisk, knowing just how to grab, just where to hold to avoid fumbling, to minimize strain. He doesn't respect the supervisors who don't haul alongside their crew. His back might lock up once in a while, but his spirit is spry, the quips coming fast and corny, the joy shining bright as ever when he greets you. The most accurate way I can describe my Uncle Spanky is that he carries himself the same way he eats, savoring, patient, purposeful, his plate piled the highest, the last to leave the table. Three decades ago, his own flight rolled to a stop on the tarmac where he now spends his days. He lifted his own suitcase from the conveyor belt on which he now drops the bags of others. Only occasionally does he think about the paths not taken, the visions that flash to the front of his mind, tempting him with regret. Every immigrant leaves behind a life. Before he was a baggage handler, before he crossed the ocean, my Uncle Spanky was a motherfucking rock star.